Welcome to Stageworthy. I'm Phil Rickaby, the host of this podcast. This is episode 318. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting it. There are a few ways you can do that. First, you can rate the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And doing that really does help new people to find the show. It bumps the show up in the algorithm. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. If you want to keep up with what's going on with Stageworthy and my other projects, you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to philrickaby.com slash subscribe. If you want to leave a tip for the show, you can drop some change in the virtual tip jar. I will put a link to that in the show notes. I also have a Patreon in support of the show. Stageworthy is a one-person operation, so not only do I arrange the guests, I edit the show, I promote the show and create the music, and I also shoulder all of the financial responsibilities for keeping the show going. So your support would mean the world. For a monthly subscription of just $5, I'll take you behind the scenes on the podcast, do regular Q&A sessions, and even present regular, exclusive interactive conversations for subscribers you can find the patreon at patreon.com slash but one of the most important things that you can do even more important than reviews or ratings or or even financial support is to share it on social media even a retweet helps you can find Stageworthy on Twitter and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the archive of all 318 episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and as I mentioned, my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guest this week is actor and producer Sarah Marchand. She is also the artistic director of Alma Mater's Productions, who launched their first full season this year. Sarah is one of those powerhouse people who just get shit done, and definitely someone that you should know. As an actor-producer, Sarah has gotten a lot of questions about producing theater, and so we're answering questions in this episode. There's a lot here for anyone interested in getting started in producing, but also a look behind the curtain for those who might want to see a little bit about how the salad gets made. Last time we talked, producing was a new thing for you. Yeah. You've been producing for a little while now. Yeah. How do you feel about being a producer? What a great question. Um, it's funny. The more I do it, the less I know about it. What is that Socrates quote? The more I know, the less I know. Um, it, it's funny. When I started, I think there's this kind of beginner ignorance you just think oh I've done this once and it was successful so I know exactly what I'm doing and then um, you realize the nuances that come with every different project that you produce the different personalities that come into play and um, there's so much to learn about producing so on the one hand I feel more confident just because I've certainly built up my resume since we last spoke but mm. at the same time I've realized there's so much more to learn. And it's it's exciting, actually, rather than feeling intimidated by that. I'm excited to learn more. I think that's kind of a really healthy way to look at it, though, like to think mm -hmm. like to, to always be learning rather than think that you've you now know it all or, you know, enough because um, believe I, feeling like you still have something to learn every day is a way to both keep yourself interested, but also 
keep you a person without getting too insufferable? Totally, totally. I think it comes, it stems from insecurity when you think you know everything, because if someone offers you a suggestion or if you are in fact wrong with something, you aren't confident enough in your role to say, I made a mistake. And so you go, mm. with, I, I've done this before. I know what I'm doing. Well, <laughs> surprise, you might not actually know what you're doing. Whereas now I have done it enough where I can own up to my mistakes or at least take constructive feedback a little better now. So I can say, thank you for that suggestion. I want to work on that <laughs> to be better for my next project. You know, I find Good something similar about, about I, I find something similar about writing in that mm. um, I, every time I sit down to write a new play or something, it's different. There's no one way that I, that I have ever approached it. And anytime I try to repeat what I did the last time, it doesn't work. So it's like, you just have to, I have to stay open to what does this play want? Oh, such a good question. Um, and you know, that's, that's so great because I think the biggest misconception that artists have with producers or producing is that it's not creative. It is so creative producing. It's just a different type of art form that a lot of actors specifically aren't used to. And so there isn't just a tried and true approach. I've mm. found some things that have worked for me for each project, but there is always something new that I learned. There's always something, uh, different ways we can tackle certain challenges. And it's true. I, I, I should start asking that. What does this project need? How can I lift this project? Yeah, it's great. It's such a it's such a an important question because no project needs to needs the exact same as the last one. And again, that's that's like for me, sometimes I have to go through when I'm creating something, like three or four different mm. ways of writing. Right. Before I figure it out. Um, probably I should plan better, maybe, because that doesn't work <laughs> so well when you're producing. You have to like have sort of an idea so you can ask the question Ugh. of like, yeah. what does this play mean need? But uh right. Uh, writing is is a little bit more uh, haphazard for me. Sure. I mean, yeah, you can only plan so much, but there is, I've learned now to just accept it doesn't matter how much I plan. There's always like shit's going to hit the fan near showtime. Always. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> always. that is you a just fact. Have to be ready. Yeah. You have yeah. To be re and you know, it's funny because the, the, this time of, of the pandemic has really mm. sort of uh, reinforced the fact that, that as theater creators, mm and producers and everybody else, we all have to be ready to change. Hmm. We don't yeah. know what's coming. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's something we've all kind of grown accustomed to. I mean, the last time we spoke, we were trying to get a project off the ground since before COVID, it was even a thing. And mm -hmm. we just had to keep readapting and changing. So um, I am, I'm grateful now because I, I, can have a bit more of a flexible attitude mm. before I would get kind of stuck. Like, well, this is what we planned. This was the contract. This was what we wanted to do. Uh, <laughs> I can't handle, I can't handle obstacles. Whereas now I'm like, well, okay, <laughs> how do we reshift and refocus? I think that's a, like, that's the skill that I think a lot of times in the theater world, we kind of missed um, mm -hmm. up until now, because we had no choice now, but um it wasn't that many years ago where some people would just, the answer to the question was, well, this is the way we do it. Yes. Yeah. And that's not a good answer. 
which is also weird because theater is always theater should be about bending the rules. So why are we so why were we so stuck in these rigid ways of doing theater? Let's be more open minded. And I think we are now. Um, so that's encouraging and it's exciting, actually. I really like to hope so. But I, I, I do feel like there are some people who are like, oh, thank goodness. this We're opening theaters again. We can stop trying new things. And mm. it, it, it feels like 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 some people just can't wait to go back to the way it was and we can forget all of this mm. stuff we've learned. Right. I feel bad for those people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's true. You're right. Um, not everyone has that same kind of open mindedness, but um, you, you know, at least for me and the people I've kept in touch with, um, we're, we're excited about these new opportunities and these new ideas. And there's always going to be that regardless, there's always going to be the more conservative theater practitioners and sure they hold a certain place in the community. And then there's people who are more forward thinking. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a couple of things I wanted to ask you about. Mm -hmm. Um, first off, I know, uh, that, uh, the name of your production company, Alma Mater's, Alma Mater's Productions, is really important to you. Mm -hmm. um, could you tell me about uh, where the name comes from and tell me a little bit about the origin story of the company? Yeah. Um, so I moved to Toronto in 2014 for my master's degree, which was fun, but <laughs> was not very useful in obtaining employment. But that's another story. Um, and one thing I remember learning in class was... Uh, our professors always said, don't ever start a theater company. It'll be financial suicide. And it's just not a good idea. There are so many companies. Uh, don't do it. So I kind of had this mentality drilled into my head. Okay, Sarah will not do a theater company. Um, but the more theater I was seeing and the more work I was doing, I thought, yes, I am an actor and I want to do my own work, but I want to work with people too. And it just felt too... Um, felt too loose. It felt too, um, there wasn't enough stability when I kept just doing these random projects. I thought I need a way to bring people together and have a kind of a solidified name to do this. So at the time that this was happening, um, my grandmother, her name was, is Alma. And um, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease in 2000. So when she first got the diagnosis, doctors told her she had max, max five years to live. So she would pass away by the year 2005. My grandmother ended up living until 2017. And I truly, truly believe that she lived that much longer because of the supportive community that she had. She was so well loved by my mom, by her husband, my grandfather. And um, I, I think when we take care of people, it really helps helps to create a safer, th more thriving community. And so I was so inspired by this. Um, I also like the idea that Alma Mater translates to nourishing mother. It's the Latin translation, translation for that. So I was really interested in exploring um, female works, works by women, for women. So it just seemed to kind of tie together nicely for me. And another uh, inspiration was in Portuguese, the word alma means soul. So it just felt right that mm. my grandmother at this time, you know, she was in her decline at this point, but all of these themes and ideas were coming together. And I love that 
my work as an artist was translating outside of just my creative world and into my daily life. And so I thought, I want to foster a community that does something similar to the way that my grandmother spent her final days. And so I'm all about support and creating a positive environment so that we can all thrive. I'm really about process rather than product. I think process is everything to a production. Mm. One of the other things is, isn't Alma Mater how people refer to their former school? That's right. Yeah. Um, another little side note is um, I realized early on I'm, I was dyslexic and so I wasn't the best in certain subjects. You know, I was good in drama and English, but science and math and all these more technical uh, courses, I really, really struggled with. And um, because I, I, I just had this, this hunger for knowledge, even though I did have this learning disability, I was so eager to keep learning. And so I really applied myself and I had um, a really great network of people who helped me to learn. And hmm. it's because of that I was able to even get a master's degree you know mm. sometimes it's easy to say this person has dyslexia like there's no way she can pursue academic studies and I was able to do that because I was passionate about it and people were able to believe in me and support me so that's yeah. also tied into it can I ask were you were you diagnosed early with dyslexia yeah um my mom was diagnosed much later in her adult years and uh, she was noticing patterns with both myself and my younger brother and i was really struggling with school so she was like mm, i think you might have what i have and sure enough when i got tested they were like oh yeah mm. <laughs> this kid's super dyslexic so mm. yeah yeah I was, I was, it took me a long time. They didn't give me a name. I only recently found out that it has a name, dyscalculia, where oh. um, I, I'm bad at math, but that's because I, numbers don't make sense to me. Hmm. And the way that numbers interact with each other don't, hmm. uh, don't work with me. But I, uh, it took a long time for a diagnosis of that. I think I was, I might've been 11, but even then it was like, Oh, well, I guess we just put him in the same math classes and <laughs> let him struggle. That would seem to be the mm. the attitude at the time. It was it was not a happy time until they finally said, "You can use a calculator." And I said, "Awesome." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It feels it can feel so isolating when you you can especially when you're you're in that adolescent period and you can just, you can tell there's something different, mm -hmm. you know, you're not processing information the way you feel like your peers are. Yeah. And it is so easy to believe, well, maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I am stupid. And it, I know I could have so easily fallen down that path if I didn't have the support I did. And yeah. um, so that's why, again, I, I so believe in a, in a fostering supportive community because mm -hmm everyone is smart. Everyone is creative. Everyone is an artist. They just need to be given that opportunity and an environment where they can thrive rather than things that might be more of a difficulty for them. Mm -hmm. I used to have classmates that were told to help me with math. I frustrated one so much <laughs> that she broke a pencil. Oh my gosh. <laughs> she snapped the pencil. I, I and, and, and it was like, it was only after the diagnosis. I, I was like, oh, I'm not math stupid. It's Aww. just that I don't understand the numbers. They don't work for yeah. me. But right. when when a classmate 
get so frustrated that you're not getting something that they break something like that. It was really quite it was a little bit traumatizing in the moment. Yeah. It's good for your self-esteem, right? Oh. <laughs> like, oh, I mean, yeah. The thing is that like for me, it was the math thing that was like the stumbling block. I was fine in so mm-hmm. many other other classes, but it was like math actually comes into a lot of uh, surprisingly a lot of things involve math. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me started, <laughs> especially with producing for sure. <laughs> well, I was about to ask, what's your, what's mm-hmm. your, do you have any tips and tricks for doing things like creating a budget and, and tracking a budget when you are bad at math? Yeah. Um, that, that's a great question. I mean, I think that's also a big reason why a lot of artists tend to fear the idea of producing because numbers are can be tricky. Um, I'm, I've noticed with some research, there's, there's a lot of Excel spreadsheets that just do the calculations for you, which is awesome. And I've also just realized like, I can just get an outside eye when I'm struggling too. There is so much more to producing than just numbers. Like, of course, numbers are important. But um, for me, I, I, I just try to, you know, simplify things as best as I can. I don't need to calculate everything in my head. I can use a program that calculates it for me. And then I just get someone who is good at math just to look it over, just to make sure my numbers are correct. And there's Mm. nothing wrong with that. I also like to use pretty colors. Like, (laughs) yeah, I I don't know. When I hear Excel spreadsheets, I just think of the most daunting, boring, technical spreadsheets. And early on, I realized like, this doesn't have to be this way. So (laughs) I make my fonts in fonts that I find aesthetically pleasing. I use nice colors and it just makes the whole process less intimidating for me. Why make it something that's boring and just a grid? Why not add fonts you like in colors? That just makes sense. You're going to spend enough time staring at the thing anyway. Yeah, I think we've been programmed to believe that things that are fun can't mean work, right? Mm. So, oh, well, numbers, that's a big, serious, important thing. So it must be boring. But if as long as the information is being acquired and understood, like who Mm. cares how how it looks? (laughs) Yeah. Now, you mentioned how afraid a lot of performers are about producing. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, could you for those that that you know, they don't, haven't really looked into it because they're too afraid of what producing might be. What, what, how do you describe producing and, and, and the, the <laughs> quote unquote duties of a producer? Uh, I have this joke answer. I always say the producer is the one who does all the stuff nobody wants to do, but are the tasks that are necessary to make the production happen. Um, but I've learned now there are some fun things involved with producing. I honestly think more than numbers and budgeting, the biggest thing um, a producer can do is just be good at communication. It it is so vital. Even if you feel like you're just repeating things or if it's being, I don't know, too clear, you can never be too clear. And it's just a matter of making sure everyone's in the loop. Everyone knows what's going on. And, um, making sure you have language that is accessible. Sometimes people might not know the terminology that you're using, or they might not be quite as up to date or as involved with the project as you are. So it's really just about communication and making sure everyone's kind of up to date with everything and being fun to work with. Like, 
having a good time. <laughs> Being a people person is 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 helpful for sure. Uh, anytime you get you have to deal with people, that can sure <laughs> that can sure help. Um, yeah, totally. Is there aside from the the math part? Is there a part of producing that you don't enjoy so much? Oh, fundraising. I hate fundraising <laughs> so much. <laughs> uh, I think I think most people would agree with that. Yeah, it's very humbling the experience. You just feel like oh, uh, yeah, I don't know if you've ever done like door-to-door sort of things. I have this traumatic memory of being in girl guides and having to sell oh. cookies and just <laughs> My Listen, mom I never had to do that, but yeah. I never yeah. had to do that, but as an introvert, it just Yeah terrifies me it's bad enough being in like trying to promote a show in a fringe line oh my god (laughs) i'm getting anxiety just hearing that (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's terrifying and you know what i should clarify i said you need to be a people person and i i'm totally an introvert myself too and when i say people person it's not that person who's who can yell the loudest in the fringe lineup who's you know always there in the the biggest energy in the room. It's just being accommodating to different personalities and being very perceptive and aware to different energies that you're working with. That's, that's what I mean by people person. Um, I think a lot of people have, have strange ideas about what people person means. Yeah, I think so. Because as an introvert, I can enjoy people one-on-one that can make me a people person and I can enjoy being in front of an audience, but Hmm. you know, I can not enjoy, um, uh, networking events or going to parties. <laughs> oh my God. No, <laughs> it's literally my nightmare. <laughs> um, as far as, I mean, whenever we're producing, there's a lot of things that sort of fall to the producer's responsibility like fundraising. And we'll get into fundraising a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, publicity might not be something the producer does, but they sort of have to make sure that word gets out about a show. And so it's up to the producer to engage a a publicity person, PR person, media contact, that sort of thing. Um, What have you uh, uh, learned about that process? A lot. Uh, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) unfortunately, more often than not with indie theater, you just don't have the budget to hire a PR person. If you do, absolutely. It's just Mm -hmm. one task that you can alleviate off your shoulders. But unfortunately, more often than not, um, you're going to be doing some PR if you're producing a show. So two things I've learned about that is... um, sharing and resharing Instagram stories can only go so far. You know, it, it doesn't just because you're, you're constantly resharing things in your stories doesn't necessarily mean that the word is getting out. You have to kind of think about it with how you yourself consume social media. Like as much as I'd want to believe every time I post something, people are looking at it and thinking, Hmm, I'm going to engage with this and pause and read the entire description. That's, that's not how we spend our time on Instagram, right? It's, it's scroll, scroll, scroll. So for me, it is imperative to connect with people on a one-on-one basis. Now I understand that can be very exhausting, but I feel like you kind of have to look at it. It, it, it's, it's more productive. I would rather privately message 10 people and really take my time crafting, you know, a personalized message and, 
almost guaranteeing that they will come versus just constantly spamming people online. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it goes the same with fundraising. When you take the time to actually reach out to people, um, more often than not, they will support you in some kind of way. Mm-hmm. And again, I think about how I want to receive that. If someone's constantly on their story sharing stuff, I, I kind of tune out. Yeah. But if someone takes the time to say, how am I doing? And they've actually done some research to know what work I'm up to. And they're like, hey, great show. Then yeah, I totally want to support. So that's huge. Um, I had another one and now I've forgotten what the question is. That's okay. Is. <laughs> I think I, for me, like the whole thing with, with Instagram stories is, mm-hmm. and it, you know, people already have to be following you to see it, right? Totally. People can reshare it. But again, like for your immediate use, people have to be following you. Uh, The algorithm is not always friendly to everyone. And so when you're putting stuff out there, you're, you're combating essentially a robot that will only wants to show other people stuff that other people have already liked. Mm -hmm. Yes, totally. Oh, I did remember what my other point was. I also make it a rule (laughs) in my letter of agreements. It's always good to have some kind of letter of agreement with every show you're doing. But I always ask everyone involved to agree to at least, you know, doing, doing their part with social media content. If it is an indie project, more often than not, we're probably not getting paid a lot. And so, um, it's not entirely the producer's responsibility for PR. Like we want everyone to shine. Right. And sure. An actor might think it's not their job to help out with PR, but it helps them too to have bums in seats. Right. So I really try to make it transparent from the get go with the team. If we've got an online meeting or a group email, just to say, Hey, everyone, like help me help you. And let's all work on word of mouth and publicity together just to help alleviate that burden off our backs a bit. Well, also, I mean, as a as as a, a performer in an indie show, like you're only going to get paid if people come to the show. So it does yes. it it is in your best interest to help out in that way. I couldn't agree more, and yet I am always surprised with every project I do. There's always somebody who's like, "Well, I don't really do that sort of thing." And I'm like, "But don't you want people to come? Like, I I can't make up an audience. Like, it comes through work. You got to help spread the word." Like, do they do they not have have social media or they just don't post about the shows they're doing, which seems uh, counterproductive? Yeah, they don't. Uh, you know, this is the odd exception. You know, most people are really great, but you, I'll sometimes get that one person who say, like, I don't really do the social media thing or oh, yeah, I don't really share stuff on my platform. <laughs> I'm like, well, okay. I often cool. wonder what like in the, if, if you're if you have the social media, but you don't share stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, especially about projects that you're working on, what is the purpose of having social media at that yeah. point? Like, yeah, we are trying to build every one of us who is a performer, whether we're a play, however, we, whatever we do in the arts, we want to build some kind of following. And we mm-hmm. can't do that if we don't talk about the work we're doing. Uh, yes. And I get it. Not everyone loves social media the way that some other artists do. I really do get that. It can be exhausting and not be the best for your mental health if you get too hooked on it. I I really do respect that. Um, I think the struggle I have more is just when people 
don't want to bother with it or they just yeah, yeah they'd have a they don't have the right attitude that's yeah. helping everyone else that's that's the thing that bothers me i think that what, what would bother me is if i were trying to get somebody to to you know talk about the show on their platform Mm-hmm. And they don't want to do it, but they're still posting their daily TikToks and their daily yeah. um, other, like their vlog or whatever. Like if you're posting on the regular, mm-hmm. yeah, you can post about the show too. Totally, totally. It just, it, and I can't tell you because even though I know whenever I make a social media post, the engagement might do well or it might not. I, I try to put time and effort into it. And it really means a lot when I see people sharing content mm-hmm. that I've worked hard on to help, you know, help make them shine. So yeah, just helps the whole team thrive when we're all pitching in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It can help. I think, I think one of the things that I've done when uh, I've, I've tried to do shows, um, I mean, if I do a solo show, it's a lot easier, but if I do other shows, if I'm creating artwork that I want to share on social media, I try to make sure that each person at least has one thing that they're in. Yes. And it totally. features them, then they're more likely to share it. And I think that's a really good thing to do if you ha- if you're creating the the post yourself for people to share like make sure that everybody has a spot where they shine. Absolutely. I love doing artist spotlights and it's also, <laughs> you know, it's an easy way for you as the PR person to just create content without having to think so creatively like no, just feature everyone on your team, you know, if we're not <laughs> getting paid a lot we might as well try to make ourselves feel like the superstars we are and just have a little artist spotlight moment it's nice yeah yeah now in advance of this you asked a few people because you you know people once you start producing suddenly people think that you're some kind of wizard and they want to know they want to climb the mountain and talk to the guru they want to (laughs) uh they want to visit the wizard they want to get some answers um and so you asked people uh some questions about the kind of things that they might want to know about producing. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you uh, some of those questions and uh, you can answer. We can discuss. Let's do it. I'm ready. <laughs> One of the first questions is how do you go about determining appropriate ticket prices? And I think before we get into the answer, I think that is a super important question because sometimes I've encountered people who worry that, that, Oh, if we price it, you know, I want to make sure that everybody can come and see it. So let's make sure that we don't, we don't charge more than $5 or something ridiculous like that. Yeah. And you can price yourself out of consideration because your price is too low. Yes. You can overcharge, but you can also weigh undercharge. And if you're charging too little, people will kind of subconsciously feel like, well, if that's how much they're charging, it can't be that good. That I think is one of the hardest lessons, especially when you're starting out, because it is so easy to fall into that imposter syndrome spiral and say, well, my art's not worth that much, or I don't know what I'm doing, so I don't want to make people pay. But um, (laughs) my gosh, with the economy now, uh, a night out with food and drinks, it costs like three times the price of a, a theater ticket might. But yes, that's that's so important. It's, rule of thumb is usually people undervalue their ticket prices. And you can always go for a few dollars more. I am um, personally a huge fan of tiered ticketing prices. Um, I know people have mixed reviews with this, but for me, that's been a method I've used for a couple of shows now. And 
what I like about it is that I try my best to even have the lowest price, not under what I think the show is worth. But I am always, always surprised. Someone will always get the the highest ticketing tier. And that option just, I, I wouldn't have gotten that that high of a donation if I just didn't have that option available. So that for me has been my preferred method. But one thing I really will say is, I mean, I don't have, you know, a wizard solution to the magical numbers, but it is so important not to base your, your, your budget off ticket sales. I really try my best to get all of the fundraising beforehand. And then the ticket sales is kind of like your tip money or just bonus money. What I have found is when I try my best to, um, budget my my production based off ticket sales is that it makes you kind of loopy and it makes your fellow co-producers or maybe other artists kind of loopy too because suddenly it's not about promoting this project you love it's we need this many people to come to this many shows otherwise Mm -hmm. we're gonna lose money um Mm -hmm. so yeah just try your best if possible to get the funds you need beforehand and then you can enjoy maybe getting giving everyone a little extra honorarium with the ticket sales but yeah sometimes it can make you loopy <laughs> can i ask you, uh, about the can i ask about the the, mm-hmm. the tiered system that you're using um oh, yeah, sure. one of the, one of the questions that i like thinking about tiered is sort of if somebody buys like a higher tier Mm-hmm. Is there an additional experience that they can be given? I mean, you can do that, certainly. And I've been asked that before. But mm. so far for me, no, it's just, uh, it, it's kind of, you have to put your ego aside. Because mm-hmm. for me, as a as an, an emerging lower class artist, you know, still struggling to pay rent, whatever, um, I forget that there are people who, aren't in the same financial situation that I'm in and Mm -hmm. to really want to support the arts. They really do. And so I need to put my own anxieties aside and just say, look, like this is, you're getting the same, same product, but if you want to support us and you know, our mandate and this is, this is an option that you can Mm -hmm. pay and people will. I've seen, um, you know, uh, the theater company Eldritch Theater. I feel like I just talked about them yesterday and I probably did. Um, <laughs> uh, they have done productions where they do the show and then they they have uh, a second after show that would happen down in the basement of the theater. And and oh. a group of a group of people would 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 join it. If you bought a certain ticket price, you could go. But I could also see on the other side of that is that you could do that, but then also have a certain number of those tickets of that sort of that, that like tickets to the after show or the second show that were uh, uh, just a draw at, at the show, like before the show, um, oh, just as an so additional it's, thing. It's the exact same show. They just. No, it's they, a, it's a oh, separate it's, show. It's oh. a second show. It's like, it's like you've seen the main show and now we're going to go downstairs. And so in their case, they would do like, we're doing like, like uh, it's, it's, I think that was like card tricks and cons. And they would sort of like do this little like 15 minute thing where they would do like some card tricks and show you how people get like, it was like that, that sort of like con artists and, and card tricks kind of thing. And they would do an extra little thing down there. So it's like an extra experience That's um, really that cool. happens after the show. It's like, certainly uh, people like to feel, um, you know, people love little perks when they Mm -hmm. get it. 
I guess my only hesitation with that is I don't want people of a certain financial background to feel like because they're giving more money, suddenly they should be entitled to a better experience than Mm. people who maybe just can't afford because maybe $15 might not seem like a lot, but for that one person, it's, 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 it's a lot of money for them. So uh, yeah, I think that's, that's, that would be my only hesitation is I want everyone to feel they can get the same experience. And then if people want to support more, they certainly can. I think that the balancing act of that, and it, it, it is, I definitely, I, like, I agree. You want everybody in the audience to have the same experience. I think mm. to me, the trick is that um, the show, like say the extra experience mm-hmm. can't be bigger than this show. Totally. Yeah. It would have to be something that is a nice to have mm-hmm. and it might be fun. But if I didn't have that, I would not feel leave feeling like I missed out. Right, right. And, you know, what's so cool about that is that is such a perfect example of how producing is creative, because these are ways you can try and figure out, OK, well, if we're going to have a ticketing tiered system, what are some other aspects we can we can add to it? And then you get to brainstorm and think about these ideas. Like, I love this idea of a basement show. Like, it's hmm. so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had an it. idea for, an, uh, while I was planning out another show of doing like, uh, you know, there's, it's a show about a mall Santa. And I had an idea that, that after the show for like $5 more, you could get your picture taken with bad Santa, that kind of thing. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> Who would um, have that? <laughs> but yeah, is there, in terms of the, if you were, generally is there an uh, like do you have a price in your mind that you feel like is this is if i could only charge one ticket price this is the spot that i would choose yeah i i think it depends on the project that you're doing um if it's a digital piece i i would be hesitant to go i would do the 15 to 20 dollar range and for live theater, um, I th- I think it's becoming more and more acceptable to do 20 to 25. You know, if you asked me this maybe five, six years ago, I would have said 15 to 20. Mm. But 20 is starting to become the base rate. And then 25 is what general admission will be. And usually you can do like an arts worker. But yeah, yeah. 20 to 25 for live, 15 to 20 for digital. Yeah, I I feel like tw- I, I for me I feel like twenty is the like the sweet spot there for twenty mm. to twenty five, but like twenty is like that average spot that most people can get to, and you can offer like a, a uh, an arts worker ticket as well for totally for, uh, on the other side as well. Yeah, here's a question I have. I, you know, I, being in the media, I've experienced the opposites, the, the sort of the wrong way for this to happen. So the second question is how early should you start advertising? <laughs> and I would add on to that, just like getting, how early should you be getting, like reaching out to the media at all? Um, you can do, I would say as early as six months, uh, just an announcement to say, this is the project we're working on. Stay tuned for details. That can happen six months. You don't want to start with the incessant posting and media outreach by that point. Um, From my experience, I would say four to six weeks is a pretty good estimate. Um, I've sometimes started three weeks in advance and you can get away with three weeks, but that's pushing it. I think four to six is a good number. 
Um, what I will say to that is if your numbers, if your ticket sales still aren't increase, increasing, don't worry. Like more often than not, they're always going to jump the week of opening. I myself buy tickets always at the last minute and I always get annoyed or stressed out. I'm like, why is no one buying tickets to my show? I'm like, Sarah, because everyone's like you, you just buy at the last minute. So <laughs> don't stress. You People are seeing your stuff. Don't panic post because that just looks a little desperate. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you want to avoid weeks. desperation. It's not attractive. People yeah. don't particularly like to spend money yeah. for desperation. Um, I've had to learn that the hard way. Yeah. I, I sometimes <laughs> will get panicked and I'll start posting. I'm like, nobody wants to see that. Yeah. You're right. We <laughs> all have been there. We have all been yeah. there. Um, <laughs> is the length of time for advertising uh, different if it's a digital production? I would say yes, um, because there's only so much you can do with digital advertising and it's you watch it at home. Right. Whereas with theater, you kind of have to it's a certain time. You've got to get to the venue. There's a bit more information required. So um, for digital, three to four weeks is a pretty good estimate. I mean, I'm, I've done. I've done three digital shows now, so I could be off, but I found three to four weeks is a pretty good sweet mm. spot. Mm. Adding on for like, if anybody is like wondering like when they should reach out to the media, um, I am usually just as an example, um, I'm scheduling my, this, this podcast usually about six weeks ahead at the very least. So I need to be contacted before that. Noted. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, just, I think in general, like if you're going to reach out to the media, especially if it's like internet media is one thing, like if it's a, if it's a blog or something like that, but if it is print or TV, they need more yeah. lead time to be able to get that stuff in there. Totally. Totally. And then that gives them more time. Sometimes you won't even hear from them until a week before showtime, which is great, but also yeah, <laughs> you don't want to wait on it too much for no. sure. And sometimes you'll hear from them. They'll be like, hey, we want to talk to you about the show tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's happened to me too. And you just got to <laughs> plan accordingly. <laughs> um, This is an interesting question because this is like, this is of the questions. I think this is the question. Oh, gosh. <laughs> How do you market to those outside the theater community? Uh, the question. <laughs> um yeah so uh <laughs> i'm gonna give my answer based off the fact that i'm still learning myself and maybe it could change maybe not but yes this is something i think all of us as aspiring producers want to learn more about um something that has helped me is much in the same way with people who donate higher, higher ticketing tiers is you kind of have to get out of your own mindset and go through what people who don't necessarily work in the arts might think or how they might feel towards theater. And more often than not, people who work in a nine to five office job, they want to have fun. They want to go out. They want something to do. And if you can put your own insecurities aside about what you feel about the show, they're very happy just to go out. And so what I've started to do is, um, you know, I have a couple of friends who aren't artists and I'll say, Hey, 
do your coworkers feel like an outing? If so, I've got a show going on. And if you get at least 10 people, I can guarantee 25% off your tickets. Uh, you can do 10 or 15, but that just builds incentive. And I think providing a little group discount makes them feel special. So it's like this outing and they saved a few bucks and then you've got more bums and seats. So I like doing this group discount and honestly, it's really just about knowing that people are hungry to see shows. You just need to reach out to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would say one of the things that we all also need to do is to think like we need to be thinking about what the, what our potential audience wants to see. Totally. And if we are, and I have, I have an uncomfortable relationship with the phrase that still gets like tossed around quite a bit, which is art for artists. Mm. Um, Cause I, I understand what they think they mean, mm -hmm. but I like to think about, I, I, uh, to me, the audience is more important than the artist. Yes. It's great for the artist to make great art, but if, if it, if we don't, aren't considering the audience, then mm -hmm. like, why are we even doing it? Absolutely. And also you don't know these people's stories. Sure. They might work an office job, but maybe they have a special thought. Maybe they did drama in high school and, uh, you know, due to life circumstances had to take a different direction. But I had one time someone who works in tech, like tech of all things, I would assume like mistakenly, like they're not interested in seeing theater when I actually found out they were like a musician on the side. And it's just neat to know that uh, not to box people uh, because mm. people want to see art. They crave it. Yeah. Another shout out to, to Eldritch theater. Cause I think it's important that people know that it is possible to do um, Eldritch theater sells out almost every show they do. And wow. And the majority of their audience are not theater people. Amazing. And yeah, that is something idea. that they have cultivated over time through, through mailing lists and, and, and uh, uh, Facebook groups and things like that, that they've managed to, to build uh, a relationship with their audience that it's something that you can only build over time, but it is something that it, it speaks to keeping the communication with your potential audience open, even when there is not a show going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, that's good for them. That's awesome. <laughs> um, here's another question. And I'm not, I think we might have to, we might have to suss out what this question means. Um, but it's, what are your best tips for saving money on shows? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I will. Okay. I, I, hmm. <laughs> saving money. Uh, well, what I will say is please try your best to avoid cutting artist pay down as a way to save money if possible. My goodness, we probably make, probably make so little already. And one of my biggest mandates is actors are not props. And mm -hmm. I don't know why there's this stereotype that everyone else can get paid, but actors are doing it as a volunteer position. Yeah. Listen, as an actor myself, I know we love acting, of course, but they should still be paid for their work. So don't try to save money on that, please. Um, I feel like this answer is too basic, but thrifting and posting online, just asking for things. I love mm. getting secondhand stuff and you would not believe the crazy shit that people own when you just ask for it. 
<laughs> I'm part of one of these um, buy nothing groups here in Vancouver. And it's essentially, it's kind of like buns, but mm. the idea is that you gift things without expecting anything in return. And so you just write a post and you start it with ask, mm. does anyone have this? And the show I'm currently working on, we've been able to pretty much source all of our set materials through this buy nothing group. So um, our set costs virtually nothing, which is astonishing. And it's nice. It's it's all secondhand. It's economical and environmentally friendly. Yeah. I think one of the things like just for me, um, when I've when I've done production on stuff is is it's always important to remember that in theater, the audience is more likely to be able to suspend their disbelief. Yes. Yes. Uh, Brad Fraser, uh, I was talking to him and he was like, you can like say that suddenly you're underwater, change the lights and everybody wave their arms slowly. The audience will buy that you're underwater without anything else. Yes. Um, I did a show in which we had uh, uh, like uh, a, uh, a chase across the top of a, of a train. Hmm. And the way that we did it, we had a rectangle of light and that was the, the, the top of the train. And wow. we just sort of like pretended to run and we would jump in unison and occasionally somebody would run by with a branch. And it was super effective, actually, um, that, you know, occasionally somebody would get hit with a branch. And in the end, the villain got hit with a branch and carried away and the audience applauded. And it was like, all we did was a light and somebody running by with a, with a branch. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Um, I recently saw at the Push Festival, um, As You Like It, C Cliff Cardinal's production. I don't know if you caught mm -hmm. it when it was at Crow's. I did not get and, the chance to know. Yeah, I, I don't want to give too much no. away, but the set is minimal at best, and I was blown away. It's one of the best shows I have seen in a mm. very long time. So yes, suspension of disbelief, 100%. Yeah. And I think it's important that we do remember that because I think a lot of times if we see productions on TV, we see the the big elaborate and expensive set that they've built for the show. Mm. Um, but in a lot of cases, you don't need that. You know, no. If you're going to try to save money, don't do it on people. Do it on set pieces. Yeah. 100%. I'm reminded of the the early productions of Billy Bishop Goes to War, which was, you know, just a guy sitting in a chair with a, a, a toy plane. <laughs> and when it when it later on on Broadway, he was actually like climbing into a, a life size plane on the stage. And it it's like. It was more effective, everybody I I heard when it was a guy in a chair with a toy plane. Wow. Wow. Imagination is a wonderful thing. Like It really yeah. is. Yeah. And the final question is one that I know you're not going to like. Um, <laughs> because we've talked about, we've talked about how this is like your least favorite thing. <laughs> but it's, the question is, what are some good ways to fundraise? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> let's get into it. Um, I don't know if there's like a, a surefire way to fundraise. It really, really depends on the project that you're doing. But I can rapid fire a few things that have worked for me, just if anyone's listening gets inspired. Um, for me, crowdfunding time and time again has always been my main method. Um, it is really a time to A, specify the project that you're doing because you're writing about it, you're pitching it. 
but also reach out to the community, let them know what you're up to. So I am a huge fan of crowdfunding. Um, another one is silent auctions. I recently just did one with 32 auctions and it can all be online. It doesn't have to be in person. What I like about silent auctions is that you can bid on things that people might actually be interested in and still make some money. Um, ad space in your programs, you know, just to, you can charge by how large you want the image to be and email, reach out to restaurants or local businesses. That's a great way to make a few extra bucks. And another one, I have to give a shout out to a friend of mine, Victoria LaBelge. She uh, suggested this one to me and it blew me away. Um, Twitch. I don't know a lot about Twitch, but she recently did a fundraiser. It was a 24 hour fundraiser where they got a DJ to play for 24 hours straight and they managed to raise $8,000 for their organization. So um, I have a cousin who's a DJ and uh, in, back in December, we did the same thing. We didn't quite reach eight grand, but we definitely did really well with that. So <laughs> if you know any DJs on Twitch, like give that a shot because I was shocked how much money we made. <laughs> nice. Um, I have a question about crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and, and it's because I think some people, when they think about crowdfunding, they, they essentially think if I put it on crowdfunding, people will buy it. People will, will, will like give me the money. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it takes a little bit more than that. Um, I know that when I fund things and not just theater things, when I fund, when I like want something that's crowdfunded, um, Yes, I might. If, if, if it is a, for the product, I want that product. Right. So if mm-hmm. I'm backing a film, give me a copy of the film. Mm-hmm. Theater is not like that. And so um, I need perks that I want. Mm-hmm. And um, that that can often be the sticking point. Like, what can we give as perks? Have you found anything in your crowdfunding that has really worked for you as far as like the, the perks go? Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because my God, crowdfunding is a whole other podcast in itself. (laughs) Um, And also I should preface by saying, if you do need to crowdfund do it months in advance, like too many people I know do it around a month before showtime and they realize, oh shit, we need all of this extra money. We don't have it. Let's do a crowdfunding mm. campaign. Get that in as soon as possible. I'm talking months, months, months yeah. in advance. We're not like, even going to get the money fast enough if you do it. That, yeah, that, that totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, in terms of perks, again, you kind of have to look at it from what do I actually want? Like, don't, don't just throw together perks because you think, you need to add something, uh, something really cool that I'm, I recently did for a campaign is uh, for a certain donation, people get their name featured on the set. It's like a kind of where's Waldo thing. And so if they either see the show, they can kind of look for their name on it, or if they don't, we'll send them a photo and just say, here's your name on the set. People seem to be really excited about that. Um, other perks I would say, People always like digital signed copies of the script or printed, but I prefer digital. It's more paper friendly. And uh, I'm trying to think of what we offered. Oh, yeah. Um, When this campaign, I did it with a few other people. So 
uh, my co-producers who helped launch this most recent campaign, they're also acting coaches. So they said, hey, if you donate a certain tier, you get a free hour-long coaching session. So for a lot of actors, that's really helpful. Um, look into your skill sets. What other skills can you provide that are really helpful to people? I myself yeah. am not as big of a fan of like physical items. Mm. Like I don't really want you to like hand make me hand make me something unless you're like an actual <laughs> artist. Like I don't yeah. want that. But if you have a skill set to offer me, like yeah, I would love, love, love to donate to get that. Yeah. I think it's so important that people do consider what they are offering for perks. Because like I said, mm -hmm. like for a perk I want, I will spend $50. Yeah. Like not like, I'm not going to just, oh, you know, sure. I want to back this project. I'll give you $5. Like if I, my base is if the, if the perk is good, I'm $50. I'm in. Yeah. And if you offer good perks that people are wanting to pay for, you can make like, how much better is it for to get on average $50 from people than it is to get five? Absolutely. Yeah. But people have to avoid, like, I've seen this so many times. <laughs> For $10, we will thank you on the internet. <laughs> For $15, we will thank you uh, on uh, our, in our program. Like, just like, oh my like, God. Like, these <laughs> are not perks. These are things you should do anyway. Yes. Yeah. I could not agree with you more. <laughs> yeah. Be, be creative and, Make it things that you're excited about that you think other people are excited about. Like if you work at a restaurant and you have a good relationship with them, try and see if you can get gift cards or say, hey, yeah. we've got two of these perks available, $50 off this like, I don't know, liquor store, whatever. Mm. Um, make them enticing. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. So that is the questions. But I do want to make sure that we have uh, a second to talk about Fly Away Home. Oh, yes. <laughs> Tell me about, because I, I know that you have, a, you currently have a GoFundMe going for that, but I want, mm -hmm. I want to know about, about, about Fly Away Home. Fly Away Home is our first ever theater season. Um, Alma Matters Productions started in 2016. And um, I think I mentioned this on the last podcast, but I tend to just do things and then realize afterwards how much work is involved, but... <laughs> Um, last year I thought I've never done a season and there's always like little things I want to do. And I, I just want to, I want to make art. So let's try a season. And so I found three projects that I was really passionate about. And I really like the title fly away home a, because it, the saying goes ladybug, ladybug fly away home. And our logo is a ladybug. But I think for me, uh, having moved across the country and just having this time with the pandemic, I've been really asking myself, where is home? And I think these three pieces really try and investigate that question. Where is home for you? And has it changed since COVID started? So um, not all of these pieces have answers, but they explore it. And that's something I'm really, I'm really excited about. I was muted. Um, <laughs> sometimes I think that, 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 you know, exploration and questions are often so much more interesting than the answers. Because does anyone have them? I don't know. No, <laughs> I, I think, I think, if, <laughs> listen, if the pandemic has taught us anything, nobody has any answers. Yeah. And the no really interesting people have good questions. <laughs> exactly. 
Sarah, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this and it's been super, super fun and informative. Thank you so much. My pleasure. 